This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Can China replace the United States as the world leader? China is a favorite topic among journalists, broadcasters, and pundits. Usually the conversation revolves around the topic of growing Chinese power. Inevitably, that subject develops into a discussion of China's threat to the rest of the world. Many of those discussions center around the personality of China's current leader, Xi Jinping. Xi makes no secret of his ambitions. At the same time, he is very careful to keep his plans to achieve those ambitions secret. The bulk of this episode of the Return to Order Moment focuses on the effect of Xi's ambitions in the United States. In the first essay, Mr. Gary Isbell considers why China's pursuit of world leadership will be a disaster if it succeeds. China's rapid rise to global prominence, both economically and politically, has rightly raised concerns in the international community. President Xi Jinping's desire for greater influence and world leadership is manifested through aggressive expansion of its military power, increasing economic ties and loan packages, and an assertive diplomatic offensive meant to overshadow America and the West. A critical part of these efforts to gain significant global influence is China's Belt and Road Initiative, BRI. Launched in 2013, the BRI is an ambitious plan to link China with Europe, Africa, Central America, and other parts of Asia through infrastructure development, economic integration, and cooperation among participating nations. This project is designed to cement China's position as a global economic powerhouse and increase each member nation's dependence upon the red power. However, China acts more like a usurer than a good neighbor. Over the last decade, Xi Jinping's so-called Project of the Century loaned hundreds of billions of dollars to nations it hopes to dominate through investments. This effort ran into trouble due to COVID and China's economic slowdown. In 2022, 60% of its partner countries were drowning in debt, compared to just 5% in 2010. Thus, many of these BRI partners face a situation called debt trap diplomacy, in which China's lenders charge exorbitant interest rates on loans that can extort concessions from desperate nations. Reports show that rates as high as four times what the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development charges. China is a loan shark, not a benefactor. These loans give China considerable influence over legal, political, and economic decisions. Furthermore, this influence gives Chinese companies access to markets with their cheap goods that devastate local businesses and disrupt livelihoods in the countries they claim to be helping. China artificially depresses its yuan currency to gain an unfair advantage in its exports. A final problem with BRI is the shoddy quality of its infrastructure projects. Another field of concern is Chinese military spending and development. 
China is escalating its military modernization efforts, especially in artificial intelligence, drone and missile technology advancements. China's assertive claims in the South China Sea and increased military presence highlight its desire to intimidate those in the region and challenge the freedom of vital shipping lanes. In addition, it has been rapidly developing its military capabilities to bolster its strategic influence in and around the hotly disputed South China Sea, especially the Taiwan Strait. China's military buildup is aimed at Taiwan, which it seeks to conquer. The growing ambitions of China have faced resistance around the world, with notable challenges including international ambitions. China is increasing its influence in international organizations to gain greater control and sway in global decision-making processes, such as the World Health Organization and other United Nations institutions. Alliances with Totalitarian Regimes Western governments remain wary of China's alliances with anti-Western regimes. It supports communist nations like North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, which have long proven their violation of the most basic human rights. China seeks to be a dominant leader with the support of these regimes. Economic Competition China is a major economic force that has engaged in practices threatening free trade. Its cheap labor, lack of regulation, and government subsidies prevent a level playing field in world trade. The Chinese government has been accused of economic protectionism and unfair trade and labor practices that harm business and the world economy. Human Rights Abuses The Chinese government violates human rights through practices like forced labor, censorship, and the torture of political dissidents. For example, the Chinese government has imprisoned more than one million people since 2017 and subjected those not detained to intense surveillance, religious restrictions, forced labor, and forced sterilizations. China's actions against the Uyghur minority constitute genocide, while a UN report said they could amount to crimes against humanity. Environmental Issues Despite its ecological commitments at the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Paris, China still disregards environmental care with massive plastic, air, and water pollution. It remains the largest polluter in the world year after year. These issues indicate unaccountability, inadequate infrastructure, insufficient enforcement, and overall bad management, all hallmarks of communist regimes. Suppression of the Church China's communist ideologies have historically suppressed religion, especially the Catholic Church. The regime persecutes the underground church and promotes its ideology through a puppet patriotic church. 
China's pursuit of world leadership is a threat to the world. If it achieves its goal of global dominance and the suppression of the U.S., it will be a disaster on a massive scale. As it has been since the late 40s, China's most immediate concern is the island nation known as Taiwan. Taiwan's mere existence and its economic success are constant embarrassments to the government of Beijing. Mr. Edwin Benson considers the current situation in his essay, Xi Jinping's Threat to Taiwan, highlight the dangers of America's fictional one-China policy. On November 14, 2022, President Biden publicly assured Chinese dictator Xi Jinping, quote, The one-China policy, our one-China policy, has not changed, has not changed. We oppose unilateral change in the status quo by either side, and we are committed to maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. Unquote. Unfortunately, Xi Jinping has changed the status quo of his one-China policy. He insists that Taiwan must soon submit to an imposed union of the two states. During the same press conference, President Biden tried to reassure anti-communists that, quote, I don't think there's any imminent attempt on the part of China to invade Taiwan, unquote. Less than six months later, CNN reported on China's reaction to a meeting between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen. Quote, China has started three days of military exercises around Taiwan after the island's president met with the U.S. House Speaker in defiance of repeated threats by Beijing. These exercises, dubbed United Sharp Sword, have been denounced by Taiwan. China sees Taiwan as its own territory and has not ruled out using force to bring it under its control. Unquote. The military exercises included 71 warplanes and nine Chinese Navy ships. How could this not be regarded as a threat? Yet President Biden blithely acts as though there is no threat, placing his faith in the fiction that the U.S. has the same one-China policy that sustained the status quo of the last 50 years. The nation of Taiwan came into existence in 1948, when the communists defeated Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists. Chiang and his government escaped to Taiwan and established themselves there. With U.S. support, the Republic of China, Taiwan, claimed to be the legal ruler of all China. The communists made the same claim in reverse. They said, and continue to say, that Taiwan is a part of China. The current confusion stems from the misbegotten detente policy pursued by President Richard Nixon from 1969 to 1974. Mr. Nixon based his policy on another fiction, the strained relationship between the USSR and its Chinese communist allies. The left-wing press praised President Nixon's revised relationship with Red China, 
When he visited China in 1972, cameras captured every moment of the trip, interspersed with delighted news anchors heralding the presumably groundbreaking diplomatic effort. Later, President Jimmy Carter Jr. decided to extend full and official diplomatic relations with China. Two key red Chinese demands for normalization were the closure of Taiwan's embassy in Washington and the expulsion of the island nation from the UN. President Carter pasted on his trademark smile and agreed. There was little that Taiwan could do other than acquiesce to the new situation. However, Congress passed the Taiwan Relations Act to, quote, preserve and promote extensive, close, and friendly commercial, cultural, and other relations between the people of the United States and the people of Taiwan, as well as the people on the China mainland and all other people of the Western Pacific area, unquote. President Carter signed it on April 10, 1979. Thus, the new law created a relationship with China that evolved into a strange and ambiguous situation in which the U.S. ostensibly supported and traded extensively with a nation whose existence it did not officially acknowledge. The U.S. maintained and maintains a, quote, unofficial presence in Taipei through a private corporation called the American Institute. As a result of this Byzantine situation, the United States claims to have a one-China policy while maintaining relationships with two countries, both claiming to be the real China. This highly ambiguous situation cannot last indefinitely. Indeed, the communists have set a deadline of 2049 for what it calls reunification. Taiwan now faces a threat similar to the two-systems arrangement that preceded the British handover of Hong Kong. The British acquired Hong Kong in 1842 and operated it as a crown colony. Since World War II, Hong Kong developed as an economic powerhouse, not unlike Taiwan. In September 1984, the British signed a treaty with China agreeing to turn over Hong Kong in 1997. In return, the Chinese agreed to respect the political and economic liberties that the people of Hong Kong had enjoyed under the British. Again, the liberal press heralded the move. Hong Kong was a tremendously important trade center in and out of China. The media informed the world that it was in China's economic interest to maintain the status quo under what was referred to as the concept of, quote, one country, two systems, unquote. Hong Kong would be a so-called special administrative region until at least 2047. Accordingly, the British pulled out on July 1, 1997. Of course, the communists broke their promises more quickly than they had made them. In 2020, 
Xi Jinping's government forced Hong Kong to accept a national security law. The Council on Foreign Relations says that, quote, Since then, authorities have arrested dozens of pro-democracy activists, lawmakers, and journalists, curbed voting rights, and limited freedoms of the press and speech. These moves have not only drawn international condemnation, but have also raised questions about Hong Kong's status as a global financial hub and dimmed hopes that the city will ever become a full-fledged democracy. Unquote. While the CFR acknowledges that, quote, Chinese Communist Party officials do not preside over Hong Kong as they do over mainland provinces and municipalities, unquote, the city is already controlled by the Communist Party. Xi already claims to be the sole authority in interpreting Hong Kong's fundamental law. Taiwan's future under Chinese rule would not be bright. The U.S. State Department should acknowledge this reality. Therefore, the U.S. should abandon the fiction of a one-China policy and recognize that Taiwan is a nation that the U.S. is committed to protecting. Anything less is an open invitation to China to move against Taiwan whenever Xi wishes. Often seen in communist China is the legacy of its founder, Mao Zedong. Since his death in 1976, Chinese leaders have struggled to implement his revolution and ideology. Mr. John Horvat discusses this process in his essay, How China After Mao Consistently Moved to More Socialism, Not Less. The book, China After Mao, The Rise of a Superpower, is a behind-the-scenes chronicle of China's rise to world power. Award-winning Dutch author Frank de Kutter is a China expert who bases his research on access to government documents and what he witnessed. His story is compelling because he has no agenda beyond trying to explain what he observed. Four decades after Mao Zedong's death, the communist nation went from the 126th largest economy to the second. Western optimists credit a growing market economy and free trade for this transformation. However, the author challenges the economic miracle narrative of China after Mao. Beyond the glitter of the nation's shining metropolises and industrial base lies an immense system of contradictions, illusions, corruption, shadow banking, and political intrigue. Extreme wealth exists beside abject poverty. The plight of the poor Chinese people remains dire in the face of a political program that only serves the Communist Party and its leaders. If there is any miracle, it is that China still survives. De Kutcher traces this darker and more chaotic narrative. While the players, facts, and policies constantly change, one thing stands out. The Chinese Communist Party is amazingly consistent in its four-decade march to ever more socialism, not a market economy. 
The book details, almost to excess, the power struggles and brutality of this march to keep China communist. However, one of the work's great merits is to point out at least four CCP consistencies among many. The first consistency is the lack of data about what is happening in China. China is a mystery, where the only rule is that nobody knows anything about China, including the Chinese government. Given the proliferation of false statistics, there is no way to calculate how big anything is in the country. Decoder notes how in most things, quote, I know what I don't know. But where China is concerned, we don't even know what we don't know. Unquote. The central government insists that each sector reaches its goals. Junior communist officials must present the best possible picture to remain in power and favor. Thus, China consistently suffers from inflated figures that no one can rely on. On the contrary, debts and shortcomings are underestimated so that failure will not be perceived and punished. Data is dangerous in China and is best left unknown and unknowable. Western media promotes the myth of a China turbocharged with private initiative and investment. The reality is a consistent policy of socialist ineptitude, which Decoter documents with great skill and detail. Behind the scenes is a constant power struggle of ideologues obsessed with growth at the expense of economic efficiency. Once factories are established, they are never closed and produced to overcapacity since they are always assured of subsidies and government bailouts. In China's planned socialist economy, the market is rarely considered. The state sets production goals, and party officials struggle to outdo each other to reach them, even when there is no demand. The government sustains zombie industries that would be better left to die. Warehouses are overfilled with surplus goods. These products are later dumped on the world market at great discounts. Similarly, government officials vie with each other over infrastructure projects financed by massive shadow banking debt and government aid. Thus, China is a nation of empty malls, vacant industrial parks, and unused airports. So-called ghost cities have sprung up everywhere, with no one to populate them. In addition, the wealth is not well distributed since most goes to the state, not the people. Chinese Premier Li Qinjiang reported in May 2020 that more than 600 million Chinese live on a mere $140 a month. China maintains a consistent trade policy that overwhelmingly favors the communist nation. Chinese officials became proficient at luring foreign investors and executives to locate in the country and take advantage of cheap labor. 
They have always held out the carrot of access to a billion consumer market. However, de Kurter concludes that the only result of these lures is, quote, a fairly insulated system capable of fencing off the country from the rest of the world, unquote. The state controls all trade that usually flows in one direction, out to the West. Meanwhile, China ignores intellectual property rights and environmental regulations that allow it to produce things more cheaply. The state's countless rules, currency manipulations, sanctions, bonuses, deductions, and incentives make China, quote, the most unlevel playing field in modern history, unquote. When enterprises issue shares, the majority are taken over by the CCP and party cells are implanted inside the plants to ensure control, even when in partnership with Western companies. Despite the ever-changing power struggles and party intrigues, the most consistent policy of the CCP is its strict adherence to communism. Throughout the four decades of liberalization, the CCP leadership never lost focus on its communist goals. After Mao's death, the party instituted the four cardinal principles that remain in effect to this day. The principles are, quote, We must keep the socialist road. We must uphold the dictatorship of the proletariat. We must uphold the leadership of the Communist Party. We must uphold Marxism, Leninism, and Mao Zedong thought. Unquote. The more the West insisted that China was becoming capitalist, the more CCP leaders openly affirmed their unshakable faith in communism. Compromises with the West were merely, quote, capitalist tools in socialist hands, unquote. China makes no effort to hide this agenda. In 1998, Chinese President Zhang Zemin declared, China's political system must not be shaken, weakened, or discarded at any time. The Western model of politics must never be copied. Unquote. However, the greatest and most tragic consistency is a Western one. As Marx once foresaw the fall of capitalism, naive Westerners saw the inevitable fall of communism. They adopted a credit, concessions, and industrial build-up policy without any proof of real change. The West's wishful thinking automatically assumed that free trade would inevitably lead to a free society. Democracy always seemed to be around the corner. People looked with a blind eye toward massive human rights violations and the brutal suppression of protests like those in Tiananmen Square in 1989. Businessmen patiently and consistently waited for the one billion consumers that would soon be buying Western goods. Western nations lost jobs to China instead. Chairman Xi Jinping is now clamping down on dissent in China, building up its military, and turning upon the West in alliance with Russia, 
Iran, and others. The West will soon pay the price for its illusions. Western trade policies have created a monstrous dragon, equipped to attack the nations that now depend on China's subsidized export goods. Decurter's final analysis, however, does point out some major problems with the Chinese model. Throughout these four decades, China has struggled to survive amid corruption, bad economics, and faulty structures. Intrigue, brutal suppression of opposition, and Western largesse miraculously carried the nation to this point. However, all is not lost for the West should it stand up to this defective bully. The author notes that China must face, quote, an entire range of long-standing structural issues of its own making, unquote, that could reach crisis proportions in the near future. It is time to break the consistent policy of surrender and confront the problem frontally. This concludes. Can China replace the United States as the world leader? Thank you for listening. Return to Order, which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.